please pronounce your name correctly for me. Femer Mejri. And we're also joined today by... Amanda Maples. And so, so Thamer, Thamer, gosh, I'm so bad with names. Thamer, <laughs> could you please give me a little bit of background? So, you know, where was your family creative? Like, how did you come to being uh, the, the artist that I'm, you are? I'm born in Tunisia, in uh, North Africa. Tunisia is situated in North Africa. It's an Arab country. I'm, I, uh, I was born in uh, uh, 82. So now I'm 40 years old. And uh, my background, I mean, uh, we have like uh, my uncle from my mother's side. He was, uh, he's dead now. Uh, he, he was very old when, he's, when he died. He, he was like uh, a, a, a scenographer working on uh, movies, uh, TV shows in, in Tunisia. Very famous like scenographer and also an artist. He, he had his studio in Tunis, the capital. And I remember like he was doing his art, like uh, some kind of surrealism, Salvador Dali style, René Magritte style. And I remember the first time like I visited when I starting remembering now at five years old, four years old, six years old. I remember my mother taking me to see her brother. So she took me with her every time to his studio. And my first like the first impact of entering his studio and seeing my uncle like sitting on his chair with surrounded by uh, by the paintings he did and the the smell of oil and of uh, uh, all you know the the studio of an artist and uh, the brushes uh, the person they visited him when i was there by surprise you know all like from uh, uh, fine art schools uh, movie directors so other artists, so I was like witnessing that. And in my mind from that age, you know, five years old, as I remember, I, I told myself, if I will grow up, I would be like my uncle. You know, I'll be an artist like my uncle. And I didn't know really what, what does it mean to be an artist. I thought it, he was only just painting images. It's, it's, it's fun for, for a kid, you know, to work like when you grow up, you will be like just painting and drawing, you know, this is your work. So it was like, for me, it was like uh, appealing, like f fascinating. So, and me too, I was like a shy boy, you know, shy kid and very like introvert, uh, uh, very attached to my mom back then. So I, I, I was drawing by myself too, you know. So I, um, I was like uh, some kind of, a boy that w when you give him like uh, uh, a paper and a, a pen he will start drawing all the day so it was like it meant to be that one day i will be uh, an art so from that age it seems like it's in a movie it's a story in a movie but it's, it's the truth so from that young age from five six years old i was like my dream was to be like my uncle and be one day to, to be an artist how has that worked out for you? Do you still have that same romantic impression of, of the arts industry now that you are active in it? Yes, because I'm aware of all like all the what's going behind the art market and working with galleries, with institutions, with collectors. But in the same time, I try to keep that um, naive side of me, you know, like that child never dies inside of me. I still that boy, but wearing like a, a man suit that's it that, so just to keep cre creating and 
still creative as a person and like uh, enjoying uh, you know the process because when you think like as an adult and like only in the professional side it's very hard and it's very complicated to like to be in this uh, domain of work you know it's very stressful I feel that stress because I'm very ambitious too so behind each ambition there's always a place for failure failure you know so it's very hard for an artist like to to deal with that but my dreams are very big and I I believe and I believe in myself it's very American uh, <laughs> attitude I think it's because like uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, yeah it absolutely because, is yes no you know, you're correct my father also played like a big role also on that because my older brother just for the information he's a he's a filmmaker he lives in Canada in Montreal and my youngest brother he's a photographer he lives in France so my brother I re my father I remember he 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 took me to watch a movie in a theater you know at age of five years old so it was Arnold Schwarzenegger the predator movie you know so imagine the impact of that kind of movie on a little kid like five years old so it was like something for me like uh, I still like remember that day until today I do you still have no, nightmares no, I didn't is that have, what you're saying or? maybe the first days after the watching that movie but now he's my favorite I, maybe I've seen that movie 30 times or maybe maybe more you know and uh, and I think that that movie introduced us to the American uh, uh, culture and the the American dream and the American propaganda propaganda but for a child for a child for for us in that age it was very important to like to open ourselves to uh, to Hollywood to movie from Hollywood to all that American like uh, uh, mindset and approach of work and life and ambition and and because we lived in Tunisia it's a very small country there's no ambition there no structure nothing so at least it paid off you know it paid off <laughs> I, I love the term propaganda yeah, you used for yeah. it. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to ambitions, like when I was a kid, I always had the dream that I would have a retrospective at the Guggenheim uh, by the time I was 50. <laughs> that was always my life aspiration. Now, I'm only one year away from 50 and nowhere near a retrospective at the Guggenheim. But what kind of uh, ambitions do you have? Because I'm interested because you come from a different culture, come from a different background, and so you know, I'm an American, but I'm also a practicing artist. We have sort of our inherent ambitional things. So like what were the aspirational or asp ambitional ideas that you had growing up in Tunisia? I, I wanted to be like, because I was like very uh, attracted by uh, uh, music from America, like new metal. I was like into that, like Slipknot, Korn, Metallica, all those bands I like. Nirvana, Pearl Jam, so, and and starting from like to, uh, from the beginning of uh, the twenty one twenty first century, like the early two thousand years, like I was like a fan still now of the new wave of rock music coming from New York, like Interpol, The Strokes, The Yeah Yeah Yeahs. When I was a student in Tunisia, that was the kind of music the music I was listening to. I'm, I'm like, my, the best band for me is Interpol. You know, for me, this music of Interpol is like 
something like from other place, you know. So, so I was like, my mindset, I was living in Tunisia, but my way of thinking and my vision of myself, it's still like Western way of looking at life and ambition and reality and how like you can, like, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's okay to be ambitious because in Tunisia being an ambition, they think of you as a fool, you know, so, but outside of Tunisia, when you are in Europe or in the United States, especially, it's, it's fair, like, it's, leg it's legitimate to be like, have an ambition to, so I, since a kid, because I was, uh, as I told you, I was like an, an introvert kid, like invisible kid, I was very skinny, very attached to my mom, so in my mind, I was, one day, I, I always told myself, I'm going to be a star. And all the people will like, will, uh, will, will, we will try to, to speak with me, to take photos with me. Oh, that's, it's a, it's very like naive. But this was my goal, just doing something and being like a rock star or a movie star or something like this, you know, being like under the light of, uh, of, uh, of media and people talking about you. I think it's to compensate that, uh, that, uh, that age. That side that you are like not seen by people, you are introvert, you are like uh, invisible. But it paid off, you know. With our the complex we we hold in ourselves gives us gives, gives us the the strength to like to achieve big things. And uh, if I had a normal life and like a normal existence and uh, balanced existence, and um, I don't think that I would be doing this kind of art now and. Uh, having those ambitions when I was uh, still young, you know. Amanda, I have just dominated two different <laughs> questions. No, but for me, when he was talking about Predator, it, it just, it made me see, uh, it made me see your paintings in an entirely new light, and I'm never going to forget that. Every time I look at your paintings now, and there's those dismembered bodies and things like that, I'm like, oh, Predator. <laughs> but also that sense of... Um, childhood uh there's definitely those everyday objects that are peopling in there and, and i'm just getting this whole new context of you and, and your work and that for me is just a lot of uh it's fun it, it just gives a whole level to it that that i didn't have before but that yeah i also into similar music i think interpol is coming soon to raleigh i'm really excited i was gonna go see that so also, um, you know, you have Chuck Taylors in your work too. So you're, you're speaking my language. I actually wanted to ask you if you're a skateboarder or anything no, like that because <laughs> I, I would like to be a skateboarder, but now it's I think it's my my brother, my older brother. He went he 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 went to Montreal 14 years ago, so he was still like young. So he did skateboarding and all that stuff. But me in Tunisia, we don't have like. And I'm like, uh, I'm very afraid of getting hurt, you know. So when you see my paintings, you think that is someone like violent and like violence. And it's the contrary. Um, I'm, I'm afraid of getting sick and her and, and her too. So I, I, pre I, I prefer like doing things in a safe way. Every, uh, I, I think safe, I, I take always the safe uh, path to, to think when I want to do a thing, I always take the safe path. Well, is that also sort of, I mean, you have a, a, a daughter yes. now, a, a, a child of some sort. Yeah. So, yeah, is part of that safety, uh, you know, being a father as well? Or And I also wanted to ask, is there anything about 
you know, you had those really intense moments of memories from when you were five. So how old is, is your, um, my, your daughter? My daughter now, she's eight and a half. So she's, she's, Has she seen Predator? No, no. And, I, and, <laughs> and, when, I, and when I had my, my daughter, I started like looking back at my, my childhood because I started comparing myself to my, my parents. And I told myself, what the heck? My dad really took me at, to see Predator when I was five years old. You were, <laughs> there's something wrong here. But in the same time, yeah. I like, I, I, I'm thankful to him like, that he, he did that. But he did that in a way that he thought he, he took me and my older brother. Because back then, when I was five, my youngest brother still, he's not there yet. So in that approach of taking his two male sons, you know, to see a tough movie, uh, like a movie for men with violence, with guns, with like action, with bodybuilders. And uh, so this is his way of, and with no sex scenes. And, because in, in our region, watching violence is better than watching. I think in the United States too. Uh, the media prefer showing a little. Now, I think maybe now things change, but before I remember that they prefer showing violence more than uh, love scene or sex scene. In, in Europe, it's, it's the contrary. Like in uh, movies in Germany or in France, they show more sex scenes and love, making love scenes, more than violent scenes with guns and with people killing. That's killing. why I like Europe more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me, I, me too, I prefer the United States more. I feel, and especially New York. I, the city, I, this is the best city in the world, for, in my opinion, my opinion, and uh, uh, because it was like a fantasy city for me, because when I was a student, it's a fantasy yeah, city for, for everyone. everyone. So, so I'm not, I'm not alone in that. <laughs> okay. Well, but let's take it back a step, actually, because you haven't even sort of described what you do. So, tell us a little bit about what type of work, the medium and all this kind of stuff for the listeners that may not have already looked at your work? I, I'm a visual artist. I do like painting and drawing and also uh, video art too. I did like uh, a lot of experimental short films. One of them uh, won like best experimental short film in LA in 2007 in uh, the New York International Film and Movie Festival. It was a festival like doing many sessions through the United States, like in Miami, in New York, and in LA. We won with my brother. I did those short films with my older brother, and uh, now I had like a movie, um, a video installation in Lyon when I had uh, my uh, first institutional solo show in 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 Europe in Lyon. It was be between February and uh, and July, and in July last July. So I also showed like uh, a video art installation with sound too, with my older brother. I like I want always to keep my my older brother invo involved with me in uh, what is like uh, movie uh, in film and sound. He worked with me like uh, if I have an idea to do uh, video work or sound work, I I work with my older brothers to keep like, because we had a lot of memory together and we, are, we have the same vein, we have the same ambition and we understand each other. So I want like to, to, uh, to share 
with him also the creative part side of us you know we share also that side so i work with painting and do figurative painting i'm like very um, respectful or um, uh, not i'm uh, uh, like I ad admire, ad admire the the masters, the old masters. I don't work like against what the past. I I, I work like with respect with uh, with artists came uh, that came in the past, like and like uh, Pablo Picasso, Francis Bacon. Uh, there's a, a Yugoslavian artist. Uh, he's dead now. He lived in France. His name is uh, Vladimir Velikovic. In Europe and in France, he's very famous. And uh, also, I see a little bit of de Kooning in your yes, work as in well. Yes, in, in putting the paint, the painting on uh, on the canvas, the way he works and uh, and the freedom he have when he works, I I appreciate the work of de Kooning. A little bit of Basquiat in his like spontaneous, sometimes so, yeah. sometimes oh, yeah. spont spontaneous approach and uh, and the and the way he uses like. Uh, Pop iconography in his uh, he's very intelligent. Uh, uh, he he choose always the way he like he take uh, decision. He he make decisions when he work very quickly. So me also sometimes I like I uh, I borrow I that way of work from from Basquiat too. So uh, but the main artists are Francis Bacon and uh, and Pablo Picasso. Well, okay, just continuing on with that, I looked at your, your some images of your work, and you have some what I would call like moderate scale work, but you also have some very large works. So like how, and and then you were just mentioning like working fast and things like this. So I'm wondering, how long does it take you to make a, a piece on average? On average, when I work on a piece, let's say, because I don't work on the same piece every day. Just I start a piece, then I when I feel that... Uh, I'm losing the momentum, I'm changing my mood, nothing really interesting is happening. I start a new one. And sometimes the second one like gives me new ideas and I come back to the first one and that, and I work, usually I work three pieces together at the same time. So let's say one month for each, like, for each piece to, to, because after the, the impulsive and the, the the energetic work, I like I sit and I and I work like a like a mathematician mathematician or a, a movie maker like working on a scene like see watching the the the, the or the, the like working on a scene in a movie everything must be in the right place right proportion uh, uh, the meanings behind the. Uh, the intensity, what people can feel or not feel when they look at it. So I start like the reflection, start um, the thinking about uh, more than like f free approach and. Uh, uh, yeah, your your titles are storyboarded, or they look almost storyboarded now. When you when you look at the paintings and look at the titles that you've chosen, I see a sort of movie arc there or storyboarding. Yeah, because like there's that. a lot of influence from uh, American directors from the '90s and and late '80s, like uh, Carpenter, Cronenberg, uh, uh, David Lynch. Uh, yeah. The first movies of Oliver Stone, 
So w w when I was uh, when I was young, you know, I I watched all these movies and I grow I was growing growing up watching these directors and um, uh, the work of these directors. So there's uh, some of that in my my Im the, the images that I make. So here's a random question then, because I know you spent some time in Accra and there's a whole, you know, it's not Nollywood like in Nigeria, but there's a Ghanaian kind of Hollywood. And there's also these painters that make these wild movie posters, especially from the 90s and the 2000s. Have you, did you yeah, see Yeah, I saw of two or three of them. Yes, I saw two or three of them. And, and I'm, in my work too, I, some of my pieces, I see them as a poster for a, for a movie or for a, uh, an album, you know, for music or like uh, for uh, like the cover of uh, of an album or something like this. I'm very like I'm very attached to the things that I liked and I loved, and that had a big impact on my my life when I was growing up. You know, I'm very like uh, faithful to the the things the, the the art that I was influenced when I was like growing up in high school and early years as a student. So uh, we all are. Yeah. So I try like to give an homage to that period of my life. Well, it's those impressional, impressionable ages that like we keep those our entire lives, whether we like it or not. No matter what we want to like not be, you know, holding on to those, they end up sort of just continually repeating themselves throughout our lives. Yes, yes. I still go back to those. Yeah, same. Like the clash, and then some more embarrassing stuff like face to face. Yes, <laughs> still. Yes, I'll you go back should be embarrassed by that. <laughs> <laughs> but but it makes me feel like I'm in high school yeah, again and, and remember. And, and also, there's not not only also the the art the art stuff that influenced me that impacted my my vision to the of the world and of our reality. Also, the bad things happening around the world back then. I remember when I was a student, first year in fine art uh, institution uh, institute, uh, uh, the war, uh, the second war on Iraq happened with the Bush administration, uh, the war on terror and all that stuff. So we witnessed that, you know, as Arabs and from that region, every day you watch like uh, the news and you watch live, like people get getting killed, soldiers getting killed, bomb bombs dropped. Statistics, you know, about how much dead today uh, and how we're killed. And like, and people, it was the first war showed live on TV. As I remember, you know, the war on, the second war on, on Iraq. Al Jazeera, the, back then, just all the day, the war on Iraq, the interviews, the press conferences, you know, they showed in purpose, you know, body like, decapitated people in the street after the bombing. Uh, Wait, they showed that on TV? On TV, yeah, of course, in, in, in Al Jazeera, of course. So, Well, then I guess Predator's fine. Yeah, yeah, Predator is fine. But yes, of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Predator was like a premonition. <laughs> well, that stuff would never be shown on no, an American or no, no, European it, it, television station. No, it was station. in purpose like, to, to make people scared. You know, yeah, propaganda, propaganda in its own way. So, I remember like people in Tunisia, like with my father, we eating lunch and we are watching like uh, uh, watching the news, Al Jazeera. My father put Al Jazeera just to like with lunch. So it's, it's like you accept violence through your meal. And so back then when I was a student, it's 
it impacted me and like an, a little bit I lost faith also in the Western civilization but, but in that time. I start doubting. Me too. I start I started doubting, you know, doubting uh, uh, all the Western civilization. I told myself if the I mean the top of Western civilization is the United States and if they allow themselves to do that, you know, so so something wrong is there. So I started like reading about uh, uh, philosopher that criticized, you know, the the history of Western like civilization, like, and I end up like falling into Michel Foucault uh, like work, and I'm very like uh, influenced by Michel Foucault philosophy. I I read all his books, watched all his interviews. Uh, listen to all his conferences, his talks, his workshops, everything about Chef Foucault, because he's like he, he dismantled the Western, uh, it, um, how to say it in English, uh, engine of uh, control and power and knowledge and power, and yeah. so panopticonism, yeah. <laughs> things like that too. The Hold on, wait, I don't know what that word means. What <laughs> <laughs> surveillance? <Yes. laughs> oh, got that. Yeah, yeah okay. so. Also, those events impacted also my way of working now also. I lived in the United Arab Emirates for a while and taught there actually at a university. And so I'm interested in your experiences as a, a Muslim trying to get outside of, let's say, the Muslim culture and sort of break, be part of the greater arts world. Has that been easy for you? Have you, like, I would imagine there's been some times where you felt a bit like a token at some point. Uh, so, like, how have some of these uh, these experiences gone for you? Uh just to, to to clarify, I'm from Muslim uh, culture, but I'm not Muslim. Okay. I should have actually asked. Yeah, yeah, I'm not I like that. I, as soon as I said I, it, I was like, I, "Fuck, I forgot to ask." No, him. it's okay. It's okay. It's 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 fair to think like this in the first. Uh, so, okay, so you're not Muslim. I'm not. I I, I started being. A, you know, I was born Muslim, but after reading and growing up, I. I knew that something's wrong with all the monotheist religion, not only Islam. You know, Judaism and Christianism and Islam are, are like weird stuff made by man. Be careful. Yeah. My father's an Episcopal priest. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. My father too. He went to Hajj and to Mecca and he did prayer five times a day in, uh, at home. So I think that also like was very difficult to, to deal with while I was at home. Because uh, from the age of 15, 16, a clash happened with my father. And until now, so, no. yeah, yeah. During the teenage years, yes. you clashed with your parents? Yes. That's shocking. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in the United States, when you clash with your, your parents, you have an opportunity to go out and to work. And you can, like, you can, like, afford to... For the, major, the idea that we have in Tunisia about uh, the American society that when yeah, you are... Eight, I'm not sure that's 100%. Yeah, when you no. are like 18 or 20, you can like go, uh, you can like, uh, go out from your parents' home and try... Uh. That's true. Legally yeah. in the United yeah. States at 18, you are an adult and yeah. you can leave. You can leave. Uh, yeah. No, you can... Like economically speaking, you know, financially speaking, you can... Like, uh, find ways to, but in Tunisia, I, I left home only 
when I was 29 years old. Imagine, wow. imagine. Wow, yeah, my parents would have killed me yeah. by then. In Tunisia, it's, oh, yeah. it's normal because economically you can't do it. Financially, you can't do it. There's no way to like to work before like some some years at some age, you know. I start working yeah. as soon as as I start teaching. I got married and I and I and I had my own home and and I lived my my parents' uh, home. So it's it's a problem of uh, of possibility and you can or you can not like uh, it's not. Uh, People, they want to do that, but they can't. Teenager in Tunisia, they want to do that, but they can't. Yeah, it's more common, I'd say, than, than in the United States for um, folks to live with their, their parents, their family much longer until you can set up your own home. I know that's the case in South America and other places, too. So you definitely have a point, you know. And when I went to college, I, I spent two semesters living in Ireland and then went back just for funsies to just live for a while. And I... I mention this because it reminds me of that fundamental moment where I it shifted away from I was raised Lutheran so Christian and it was a big part of my life and then I I went to Ireland and I was like oh god <laughs> this is you can really see what what problems um you know organized religions can can cause oh, yeah. and that was really eye-opening for me I think I was 18 or 19 years old um, but I had to get out of the United States and of rural North Carolina, where I grew up, to see all of that, and and yeah. so you have a point. You know, I, I had the opportunity to do that. I was able to to raise some of the money to go, yeah. and you know, through you know exchange programs, I could go for the same cost of going to university in America. And, I, yeah. I I think by art and the music and and, and then being a student in fine arts because it opens your eyes to a whole other wo world. You know, like art and history of art so you start in philosophy and so you you start like reflecting and thinking about about your your own heritage and you start you know understanding that it's not like uh, it's not true it's not it doesn't meant to be like this and you have, not what like, they told you it was yes that's so, what it was like for me i was like yeah. this is not the world that i was meant to believe existed it was all, it all fell apart. <laughs> yeah. And so back to it was easy or not. I think in Tunisia we have like, we are not like uh, similar to the, to uh, other region in the Arab world, like Egypt or uh, uh, Saudi Arabia or we are more like France and Italy. Nobody is similar to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, my opinion. Yeah, just yeah, to be clear. Me too. So we are we are more similar to Italy, South Italy, South France. So you, the mentality there is not like very very religious. You find people like they are like fanatic and uh, but the society is like very pragmatic. You know they. He, the, he do prayers and go to the mosque, but in the night he drink alcohol and dance. And so it's very schizophrenic. It sounds like the UAE. Yeah, That's yeah. <laughs> it's schizophrenic society. They are, the, the, I, now I, I see that they are schizophrenic. It's, it's, it's not a good thing. You have like, to choose. Like, like, but it allows like, some, uh, some, uh, some overtures. You know, you can, 
you can uh, go inside and you can like find your way and to 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 exist so uh, it was not, not very hard to and also fine art is not really under the light of society you know so uh, for them it's it's like you are doing like a hobby stuff or it's your hobby or you are doing like an an activity just to to be happy or just to uh, and they think that you are a fool to to uh, to just to uh, like to work as an artist and being an artist is like second grade of uh, of citizen you know it's not really okay j- just to be clear same opinion in america <laughs> <laughs> yeah, n- very few parents are like, "Oh, I want my kids to grow up to be artists or musicians." Like they want you to be stable and sol- yeah. you know, lawyer, doctor, whatever kind of thing. Like so it's a very yeah, normal okay, thing for so. societies that and generally most societies frown upon artists as a career. <laughs> yeah. So maybe the problem is their perception of you when they see you painting or drawing some certain things, you know, like me, my, I remember my first, my first uh, solo show in Tunisia in 2010, uh, the title of the show was uh, God, Male, Scarecrow. So, uh, so it's like, to, it's, it's before the Arab Spring and the, the Muslim Brotherhood taking uh, power. So I, I was feeling that our society is like going to a way that would be like a very religious and conservative society before the 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 arab spring and then the brother the muslim brotherhood like uh, won the elections and uh, so i like i drew i painted like uh, uh, nude male bodies with genital in erection and uh, like in very ambiguous uh, posters and it was like I, w- I wanted like to make a buzz a little bit, and uh, to and how did that work it, for you? It worked very well. I was surprised. Okay, good. I saw I like I sold all the show, <laughs> and people and people in the domain of art, you know, all the art critics and and teachers and students and other artists, they were all speaking about me. They were saying that ah, oh, we have I think we have a new art, new artist, an, an original artist in Tunisia. And uh, so uh, I started like, and I made my name from 2010. I was like in the art well, that, scene. That could have easily backfired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I took the risk. I took the risk, you know, to, to do that. And, and in a way, I was lucky. I was lucky. And uh, uh, it happened. And I like a big gallery in Tunisia, a respected gallery in Tunisia. They saw my work and they like, took me to, they asked me to work with them and they took me to Abu Dhabi Art Fair where I met Jeff Koons there and if he's... It, it, I was there at the same... Uh, 2011. Year? 2011. Yeah. Oh. I was there. Okay, so I was, I had my solo booth there in the the section, uh, like the um, new section or something, like a young section or... Sort of. I know the section you're talking about. Yeah, in the outside pavilion, the, the not the like the main structure, yeah, not, but the, not source, the main the, structure. Yeah, the the organic yeah, structure. Yeah, yeah, one. yeah, yeah. I know exactly. So what I was, you're talking I was about. there, and I the whole weekend. Uh, maybe we met. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we met. I don't know. Two thousand eleven. So that. I met Jeff Koons, yeah. and he came to because I was watching him on magazine. You know, so for me, it, 
it doesn't matter your your opinion on his, on his art but for me it's it's like <laughs> it's cool yes it's we cool. all have strong opinions <laughs> yeah, yeah. on so, his art one way or yeah. another but for yes. me it was cool to like to speak with him and about my art and uh, so, what did you think of him? My opinion of him, and I, I'm assuming he doesn't listen to the podcast, so I will tell you, my, I felt like he was a used car salesman. Like he was very slick and polished and very, you know, I mean, and, and, and I, listening to him, I felt convinced of everything he said. Yeah. And then later I was like, wait, that was all bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he, he, he has the, the talent of, like selling you whatever he wants, you know. Plus ten Absolutely. charisma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, okay. I guess yeah. He's very charismatic. I, 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 he, I don't think he made it all these years. You know, he made it all these years without any talent. I don't think. In a way, he has a talent. Anyway, Unfortunately, most people yeah. don't think it's artistic talent. Yeah. <laughs> but it's important now. I think, in my opinion, as an artist, like. <laughs> I think as a, as an artist now in our uh, times, you know, you have also you have to know a little bit about marketing and uh, how to speak about your art, how to present yourself, how to present your art. How so? I'm I work a lot on that on that side too. So. Uh, a lot of artists don't, though. I mean, it's it's the a hard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my husband as well. He's 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 also quiet and uh, doesn't market his himself very well. But he's amazing. So, but how do you do it? How do you balance? That's Sean that? Richards, by the way. S H U N S H A U N A U N. Sorry. So, for me, it was like a challenge too, because uh, when I was a child, I was like. Uh, 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 I don't know the word in in, uh, in English, but uh, the pronunciation. I was I having hard times to pronounce uh, some letters and some words. So I like so in school I was very shy. I didn't want to answer my my teachers and so for me like to like doing this kind of broadcast or interviews or TV or for me is it challenging for that little boy back then and so like you you evolved as a person and like you made it and now you you can speak and you can like express yourself and uh, without any any kind of real problem you know so. so do you think it's the success that you have had till now that's made you um push yourself or, or feel more comfortable yes that? yes yes because in the end i i told myself people will look at my art first and they know that I am doing something interesting. So in a way, if I had some problem to speak, it's, it's okay. It's part of, of the charm of the artist and the myth of the artist, you know. <laughs> it is indeed, yeah. yeah. Now going back to the, your whole sort of like transition. So in your childhood, you had this sort of idea of America and American culture. And now at this exact moment, you are actually in America. And so I'm interested, in, did it live up to your expectations? Did it uh, not live up to your expectations? Like how did the, uh, the comparison between the, the, the dream versus the reality compare? I think, of course, it's not the same like experience as I thought when, but in, in the same time, I still like a child in Disneyland, you know, I still look at America and New York and LA with the eyes of 
that young man and that boy. So I don't want like to kill the myth and to kill the fantasy because it allows me to believe in some other like success and uh, make my ambitions be bigger and be more ambitious and uh, and I always see the, the the part that I like of of America because I don't really live here. If I stayed maybe for two years or three years, I'll I'll be more neutral and I'll give you like real opinion. But now I come for one month, two weeks, three weeks, two months. So still, and and I'm working every day. So I'm like fulfilling a dream, like working in New York, staying, living, and working in New York at the same time. It was when I was a student. Is what was like a dream for me. You know. I'm almost 50, it's still my dream, yeah. but go on. Yeah. <laughs> so I, when I was a student, I always told myself, if I succeeded one day, it will be like having a studio in New York, like being an established artist in New York and having my own studio there and like meeting and living and like uh, uh, people from New York and like, and going back to Tunisia, of course, because I have a big, a big responsibility there. Uh, now with like... The opportunities that I have and the, you can say, the success that I have. In, in Tunisia, many young students and young arts, they look up after me, you know, they look up to me, you know, and they, and they, and they see that it's possible if you live in Tunisia, you are based in Tunisia and you study in Tunisia and you work in Tunisia to go also over, over the borders and like do project outside of Tunisia and, and, uh, and also uh, earn money also with your work and living like a decent life in, in Tunisia with your art. Because there it's, it's a dream, you know, it's not possible. The market is very small and the opportunities are very like few opportunities for uh, many artists. Despite we have like a great art, uh, art scene, you know, generation of artists, not an art scene, like five, six artists from Tunisia. Now they work with galleries outside of Tunisia. They did like the, the, the Venice Biennale, uh, Lyon Biennale, the Villa Medicis. They are like acquisitions from museums, from foundations around the world. So our generation that, that born between uh, 1980 and 1987, 88, it's like uh, a good generation, really successful generation. And now the young uh, you know, students, they look up to us and they, for example, uh, not as a part of vanity by myself, but this year and the past year, I was like, like uh, the most uh, uh, seated uh, artist in, um, in the research in Tunisia. In academic research in Tunisia, because of the things that I'm doing, the shows and my work and the originality of my work. So many students that they are doing the PhD, they like they reference uh, me, the most referenced artist in uh, in, uh, in fine arts now in, in Tunisia. And some schools they like they ask me to come like doing talks to, with the with the students to give them like hope. Because the, the situation in Tunisia is very bad, the economic situation, political situation is not good. So people lost hope during those uh, last past 10 years. So they wanted like to give a boost uh, 
booster for the students so they can like take seriously their, their studies. This actually reminds me, you mentioned, you know, studying in Tunisia. You're, you're working on a PhD yourself right now, right? Yeah. yeah. So tell, is that sort of, you know, you want to give... Why? Yeah, why? I stopped working on the PhD like four years ago okay. for, because I couldn't do it, you know, with uh, my career and with uh, the engagement that I have with, uh, with my work. As an artist, I and a child, a child and a family, and so, so it, it's very. And yeah, we're not presuming you're actually married. We just know you have a no, child. I'm, I'm married to. <laughs> okay, great. Okay. It's complicated. Didn't want to be presumptive. Yeah. It's complicated, but still married. <laughs> yeah. But I think every marriage is complicated. There's no agree. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm like. Yeah. In, in transition, I'm in a transition situation. Okay. Eternal, okay. boy, that's the, yeah, that's that's marriage also. Yeah. But all right, I want to go back to actually. You talked about like marketing and things like this. I'm utterly fascinated by that because I will fully admit, and you know, Amanda's husband would probably also be interested to know as well. Like, what is it that you find that works well? Because I, much like many artists in the world, are, are fail miserably at it. Now, maybe it's because of my own um, insecurities, my own fears, my own whatevers. But like, what is it that you have been able to find that that works well for you? I borrow a style of communication from like. Uh, uh, like where, Don't say Jeff Koons. No, 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 no. Not, not from the art field. Not from the artistic field, you know. Like from uh, from uh, uh, movie stars like The Rock, for example, or or uh, athletes like uh, like uh, great athletes. How they like you have to make your life interesting for people. So they want also uh, with your art. They want also to know. With keeping a little bit of mystery and uh, ambiguity also, but you show, but you don't show all. You have to like to to be professional on your on Instagram. For me, Instagram made a big difference. Even some galleries, two galleries, they contacted me because they saw my work on Instagram and via Instagram. So in my way, I I want in the in the feeds section, I keep it professional. Always like anything personal. Only my work, my uh, uh, my exhibitions, uh, the events, all around my work. But in the story stories section, I try to keep it cool and uh, about the artist more. Going to the gym, uh, traveling, what I eat, what I wear, the attitude of the artist, creating like a character a little bit. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's just to be clear for the listeners who cannot see you, you're a very attractive man as well. Thank Definitely you. very fit <laughs> as well. You, yeah. So like, I just want to make that clear yeah. because nobody can see you. So thank you. Yeah. So yes, just and I go to the gym. Out there. For example, I try like to, I try like to, to tell people that it's okay to be an artist and to be also fit and to look after yourself and to eat healthy. To drink also, but no drugs. No, I don't do drugs. I don't do like we. I don't smoke weed. I don't like. I just drink. I do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm far more of a drug addict than a drinker. Okay. I, me, I I drink, but not a lot too. Like I I want to keep 
myself healthy so I can enjoy life more and also keep working like in, uh, in intense with that same intensity every year when even growing up I I want to keep the same intensity and being like present with my mind and my body. Amanda, would you like to share notes about fitness? Because the two of <laughs> yeah. you are very fitness oriented. Yeah. No, I feel the same. I mean, there's something about, it's not control, but it's, it's sort of about contouring my life the way that I want it to be and also being present in my body and in my space. And um, it always gets my energy going in a way that feels grounded and centered. And then I can go and, and focus my energies because I've woken my body and my mind up by conditioning it and training. I don't know. I think that's sort of what it does. Yes. I think for my husband, he also works out quite a lot. Uh, but he also models a lot for his own paintings. So I think that he's also trying to keep his body in a fit enough shape where he can be in his own paintings. He, he's the cheapest model he knows. Uh, <laughs> so I, I was wondering that with some of your work because you have a lot of pieces of, of the body and I was wondering what where your source material is for that. My source material is like uh, uh, very tough sports like uh, American football, rugby and also soccer. So I ch choose the models from pictures from those sports. Wait, through. you call it soccer? Of course, for the American audience. But okay. If, uh, okay. In, like, in, in, in Europe, it's football. But to make it clear for our American audience, uh, uh, I know that it's called soccer here. So, <laughs> uh, just to be clear, I I live in Prague. Okay. By the way, oh, okay. you have a pretty international. So you don't audience. have to be all American. Yeah. Yeah. So and also, I'm fascinated by the the world of bodybuilding too. Like uh, for me, Arnold Schwarzenegger is like a role model for me. So I. I, I, it's, it's really, it's a little bit contradictory to, for an artist to say that, but in a way, as a, as a person, he was very successful. In his field, he was like the top of the world. In discipline, he believed in himself. He came to America and he fulfilled his dream. I think he had something to say when, for a career or for, to give you an advice or even if he's a bodybuilder or became a governor. Government. But as a person, as a person is uh, as a, as a person, you can like uh, ins get inspired by. And I'm as as I told you, I I'm not ashamed to say that I'm faith I'm faithful to that little boy, Famer, as age of five and six and seven and eight when I was like for me Arnold is like uh, the man to be. You know, is. Well, it's an interesting, I, I don't know, sort of stereotype, I guess, about artists that we don't care about these things. The, yeah. That I mean, there are, I know lots of creative people. I'm not even going to just say artists, but like musicians, authors, you know, all kinds of different, who are incredibly uh, conscientious about their fitness. But there's yet there's this perception in the, the world that artists are lazy, sloven, and don't care about these and things. And even uh, philosophers. For example, Albert Camus, he was like playing football and he liked watching football. He went to the stadiums and like followed his team. Also, Jack Derrida, when he was still like a young man, he played football in Algeria until like, he left for France. So, so in a way, being fit is also a, a classical approach of life, like Romans and, and uh, people from Greece and like they were like wise people and at the same time they 
like to be fit and to be like pretty and to be like uh, attractive and uh, so well, Matthew Barney yeah. was an Abercrombie and Fitch model. Yeah, he, he and he played football too, and uh, so I, I I appreciate his work. You know, he's one of the artists that I like. The contemporary arts that, that I like is Matthew Barney and an Algerian French Algerian artist is uh, Adel Abdesmad. Abdesmad is like in Europe and he 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 showed in 2007 2008 with David Zwimmer uh, in Manhattan in Chelsea. I remember visiting New York in 2007, and I so he he did like an aeroplane, like twisted, with or a big, very large skeleton, like uh, flying. He's Algerian. He left Algeria after the the the, the dark ten years of Islamism, and he was like uh, he almost killed. And because he was a teacher in in fine art in Algeria, he left for Lyon, and then in France he became like now in Europe. Even in the United States, they know him. Adel Abdesmad is like, for me, is the, art, the, the contemporary artists that I like the most, and I, I'm, I'm a fan like of them, their works. You know, Matthew Barney. I remember since I was a student, I discovered his work like the the Christmaster cycle movies, and after that, Drawing Restraints, and, and I know he's married with Bjork, and so I know. I don't believe they're technically married. Yeah. They're a long-term couple. <laughs> they're Euro married. Yeah. <laughs> in their, uh, what, what's it called? Like, um, it's not in domestic uh, partnership. Yeah, domestic partnership, something like that. Yeah. So like, over like 10 years, you're like all, you have all legal rights of a marriage without actually right. having to get That's married. Domestic partnership. It's I don't know. Sean and I talk about marriage as being something you should renew every year anyway. Yeah. It should be a, a renewable agreement. Yeah, of course. Yes. Yes. <laughs> It's better like this. Yeah, you want to I'm keep it going? I'm not sure, sure do. how I feel about that marriage position. <laughs> I mean, but I guess it would keep this the the you, you wouldn't get lazy. Yeah. No, you have a state yeah. of the union. How you yes. feel? Course, I mean, yeah. we're very happy. So my my anniversary was just last week, so oh. I've got to think about that. Happy anniversary! Ours was happy just anniversary. August fifteenth, four days ago. Ours is August tenth. Ah! Happy birthday to both of you. Yeah, to our when, to our when, relationships. When, yeah. And when when was your anniversary? Me, uh, May thirteenth. May thirteenth. Okay. All right. Now, you brought up. Are you a teacher also? Yes, in the university, in the Institute of Fine Art in Tunis, the capital, the main institute in Tunisia, the whole whole Tunisia. So since two thousand nine. I was teaching until now, you know, it's more than 10 years now, 12 years of more, more teaching in the university. So it's really, it's, it's not easy because uh, the situation is not easy for a teacher in Tunisia. You know, the, the, you don't have all the tools available. The infrastructure is like very weak, very poor for art. I mean, if you go to the medicine school, it's, one of the best in the world, Tunisian doctors are one of the best in the world. Uh, they work here in the United States. In France, the majority of doctors in France are, are Tunisian. So, but for art, it's a, it's a social mindset. They think that art is something uh, that you can uh, avoid and you can do without art. You can do it without, a society can do it without art. It's more important to go to the mosque than going to, like, to see an exhibition or see... 
just to be clear, I've taught at six different schools. I'm a professor myself, and art is always the bastard stepchild of every yes. university. Yes. Like we we are underfunded, underallocated, yeah. under we get the least amount of we're all we're all I've noticed we're also always tucked in the farthest corner of yes. the university as yeah. well. We're never in a prominent building. We're always like in a in the back far corner. They're like, Oh yeah, yeah, back there we also have art. But don't worry about them. <laughs> the same, yes. But so it's it's becoming harder and harder each new year, each year, you know. So I don't know. Agreed. I think that one day I will stop like teaching if my career will be like I have to be like more present outside of Tunisia or traveling or it won't allow me to be like one hundred percent focused on teaching. So it will be like a bad thing for students. Like their teacher is not like. So I did that last year because I spent like. Most of the year traveling, so my teaching was not really cool with them. So they, lo my students, loves me. So, but I, I have like uh, responsibility too. So the day that I feel that I can do it anymore, I will like give my my place to someone who is focused one hundred percent on that job. Yeah, that shows integrity. You know, if you yeah. if you can't really dedicate yes. yourself to the students in a meaningful way, then you know you shouldn't. Necessarily but some it. of other teachers, they told me, no, Femer, being at the institute, seeing you at the institute gives them like hope and like you can like, it's better, you, you hear the half, half of the time, it's better than you're not here. So, yeah. I disagree. I will die in the classroom. <laughs> So yeah, me too. That, that's I my dream. Me too. I, 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 want, I want to die either in my studio, classroom, or in a private situation with my wife. But, you know, <laughs> those are my three that I want to die in. <laughs> Look, your, your wife is very lucky. You love her very much. <laughs> I do, yes. So, but those are, those are my three hierarchical places of my desire to die. I've never thought about that. Me too. I, I just thought, don't want to die. So. I don't want to die. Me too. I'm afraid of dying, you know. Well, yeah. Well, you said you're afraid of of you know injury, yeah, even. So yeah. yes, I would expect you to be afraid of dying. Of but yet, your work seems to be a lot about death yes. and sort of uh, you know. This is why my work is like it's like this because I'm afraid of those things. Though maybe 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 is a therapy too for me. You know, I'm understanding myself through my own art. You know, it's a process of understanding myself because, for example, I believe that artists. Want, are not like uh, here to give answers. I, one of the philosophers that I like too is Slavoj Žižek. If you have an idea who is Slavoj Žižek, so yes, yeah, yeah I, I like. I'm a fan. I'm a fan too of Slavoj. <laughs> so he said the, the good thing, the the, uh, sorry, the not, not the problem, but the matter is to ask the right questions, not to give answers to questions. So I, with my art, I'm trying like to ask the right questions. It's a process of asking questions about our life, our existence, about identity, about uh, this avatar you ha we have to exist, uh, about, about power, the people in charge, the power in you know, knowledge and power, religion, uh, uh, sex, desire also. Now I'm like trying to dig a little bit and Jacques Lacan, you know, uh, writings and uh, and uh, methods and how he like 
he uh, analyzed our uh, behaviors as human beings and rela gender relationship, uh, our fantasies, and uh, it's intriguing for me. So it kept me like alive and motivated to to tell myself it's always something unknown that I don't know. I have to to know, you know. I have to like to to wake up in the morning and go to the studio and work. So I can like uh, search on these themes, and it's like a, it's a game. For for the people that that couldn't see Matt, he very much perked up when you mentioned sex and desire. I just have to, to <laughs> absolutely <know that. laughs> huge huge fan huge fan of everything sexual and desirable. Yeah, I think everything is sexual, and uh, Freud he said that I believe human beings, but they with all the. The, That's a very non-Muslim position for you to take, by no, the way. Just to be contrary, Islam is all about sex, but but sex for men, not for women. Everything is, is. Is, is going is like running around. Did you say? I'm sorry. Did you say sex with men or sex for, for men? men? About men. Okay. Sex, sexuality of men. So for in Islam, for 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 males, everything is allowed. Of course. Uh, uh, homosexual relationship, not, but in a heterosexual, in straight, you know, sexuality, everything is allowed with your partner. Nothing is like forbidden. Well, that's or, because the partner can't say no. no so in that, you know, I, I, I don't so. agree with uh, that, but just I'm telling you, you know, so, and even male can have like tw 12. Women and uh, at the same time, you know. I mean, yeah. In the United Arab Emirates, I think I can't remember whether they could have three wives or six wives, but they could have multiple wives. Multiple I wives, and other other than wives, he can like have also slaves, like sexual slaves. You know, he pay to. So it's it's all about sex in Islam. So they <laughs> he knew <laughs> they knew that like to to be in in. For males to keep you uh, in position to be in charge and uh, and to in power, you have to like to um, give them all the freedom they want in sex. So, uh, so it's it's tricky. It's a tricky uh, approach. Amanda, as a woman's perspective, anything on that? <laughs> <laughs> Speechless. No, I I actually it reminded me of something I read in in interview with Samir that I I actually was just reading earlier today that you mentioned that um, women are already emancipated. They're waiting yeah. for men to elevate themselves. And yeah. I was like, boom, that is it. Like, yeah. <laughs> that are, there's... yeah. Even in Tunisia, and I'm speaking about Tunisian women, they are ahead of, of Tunisian males, you know, and, uh, and men, you know, in sexuality and also in, uh, in everything. So, but they, like, they are trapped in a social device a structure that allows men to be in charge and in control so you you are like i'm sorry allows men yeah allows men yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is the law there and this the law of you know the the state law and also the law of the society so in a way you, it's it's a bad thing and i'm like in even in my work i'm trying like to share not shame things, but to speak about that, you know, that uh, toxic masculinity and... Uh, Bring up the questions, yeah. not giving answers. Yeah, so why it has to be like this? But I think even in what I noticed by traveling and like uh, speaking with also Western people, 
it's the same, but in, uh, they like to, they know how to hide it too. Because like even sexuality for women, it depends on your partner. If your partner is, even if he's uh, French or American or Swedish, he, if he's selfish or he's like uh, violent or I don't know, he's macho or he won't allow you like to be, even if you're live and you are with, so sometimes you can find like uh, a Tunisian partner or an Arabic partner, he's like from Islamic culture, but he can like, he can be like more open and uh, he will let the woman lead and it's a personal sexuality is still personal you know between two person and two bodies so you never know what happens inside the room between two people so. it's also true i um <laughs> i have so many thoughts right now <laughs> <laughs> i i think one of the things that I wanted to say in response to, to the conversation was that I think men are, and again, this is, we're talking on binaries here, so there's a whole spectrum of sexuality and gender and all of that, but I think men are afraid of the power that we women have, and when you're afraid of something, you seek to control it, you know, or maybe understand it, but in that way, kind of keep it contained. And I think that is true with women's sexuality as well. And I think that's why we have some of these problems. Matt is making the funniest look at me. He's just kind of, <laughs> hmm. Uh, I'm just sitting back in my chair <laughs> and letting this happen. <laughs> I think it's the way the societies are built. If in the Western world, still the structure is still Christian. Mm-hmm. Still religious. The structure still, you know, uh, yes. religious structure, like family, it's a, it's a concept, it's a, like a religious concept, having a family, marriage, uh, all the many concepts coming from r- religion. And now mm-hmm. you want like to act in a, a atheist or free way in a structure that it's built for uh, uh, from other times, you know, from the past. So. So it creates problems. Still, it will create problems until, until the end of time if we don't change uh, the structures. It's the structure itself. Yeah. So we have to invent. We have to invent yeah. new ways of re- building relationships. Or That's it. Re- so this is so it will be like for women. It's easy. It, it will be back. It will be like normal to be a woman. So you don't have like to. To prove yourself to be a woman and to get acceptance from men. I think that that points to something that's really important, which is these are all human constructs. It's all invented. And so why can't we reinvent it a different way? Well, there are plenty of cultures throughout the world that don't have organized religion in it, where partners are shared, you know, children are raised by communities, like this kind of stuff. So like all of these kinds of sort of general constructs that we think are the norm actually all started with religion and then just got accepted as the norm, but that doesn't make them the norm. it's It's not human nature to have all these kinds of constructed things of like one gender being dominant over another, the need for marriage, the need for monogamy, all these kinds of things. That's all constructed by social choices, basically. Um, and so it, it does, it's not a necessary thing. I'm not sure what this has to do with the podcast, but anyways, <laughs> but it, it, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I am not, 
I'm not, I, I'm open to all that stuff. I, I think it's ridiculous. I mean, coming from a background where my father's a priest, like, so like, you know, I understand why it was done at a certain time period, but I think that that certain time period has ended. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree. I, I disagree, though, in some ways, and I think that humans want to order the world and construct it in a way. So I, I just think that in terms of religious ordering of the world, that it gets a little bit too fundamentalist or essentializing. I think that's ego, though. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think the human ego is the thing that gets in the way of everything. Whether you know, whether it's religion, love, your relationships with loved ones, your art, whatever it is, like the ego is the thing that it can either be very beneficial or very detrimental to any of those sort of I'll call it practices. I hate calling things practices because we're actually good at these things. We're not practicing, but anyways. So like the ego gets in the way of all, a lot of these things. I mean, look at look. At, I mean, here this is my this is my old philosophical thing. Like communism on paper, communism is magnificent. Yes. But if once you put the human ego into it, it will never succeed in actual reality. So like, there's a huge difference between theory, concept, ideas, and then once the human ego is placed into it, the reality of how that is uh, accomplished in physicality. You know, everything from a, a interpersonal relationship all the way up to being an artist and, and being a practicing creative person. I, th I think that's my soapbox for the day, and I'm standing on it. I like it. I then, think our need to be in charge and have power over the other. This is, uh, I think, it's in our nature, like to, to try to control the other. Start with your partner, then with your children, then at, at work. And so it's like, it's it's our in our nature. I think if the concept of human nature is, itself is like a blurry concept, but I can, to start with the human nature is in human nature. I think we feel that need to 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 get in control of everything and to have power on on everything. So. I kind of get that. One of my favorite things in the whole world is being right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when Sean tells me you're right, I'm like, oh. oh. Say it again. <laughs> well, my, my parents, when I was a kid, I'd always say like, you know what I really want? I want to have like control over my life. And my dad would always look at me with this look like, you think you have control. Yeah, but you never have control. It's... No. Yeah, it's no we're like determined uh, creators, you know. We are already like determined by, by the environment we live in, by uh, the place we are born, by our parents, by the economic situation by the weather, by everything, by our body itself, by the, the shape we have. Agreed. Now, okay, one last big question I have is you brought up the idea that you feel an obligation to go back to Tunisia to teach back there. Like for me, from where I grew up, I have no love loss for where I grew up and I, I have no, I feel no obligation to go back there and do anything for those fuckers. So, <laughs> you know, what what about that sort of cultural um, aspect makes you feel that need to go back there? Because in, in many ways, I admire it and I respect it, but I just don't personally have it. I think it's because it's it came by itself, not by choice. So I now with the the stuff I'm doing and the success the the success that I have now, I don't know 
what brings what tomorrow brings this is like tricky career so uh, one day you are successful you don't know but now as i'm as i am now i feel the obligation the responsibility not the obligation nothing that's uh, a much uh, better word uh, i apologize yeah, yeah, yeah. for saying obligation. the responsibility to give back not to to the youngest younger generation not to people like my generation no no to the people that are like because i i, I believe that this is my was my mentality when i was like student i wanted to succeed i had ambitions and you and you i can and i can find like some students having the same mindset so when they see like a tunisian artist uh, is working outside of tunisia and have success so it, it will help it will help them like to believe in themselves and like changing the life of one or two or three person is amazing for me you know so I, i believe in that you know i believe to be like to help and also spending my money in tunisia is better than spending my money in <laughs> to be honest uh, also exchange rates great yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i'm with with the sales and everything i'm living like and tunisia is a very beautiful uh, country you have to come one day it's like we love to it, it looks like more like south of uh, of Italy more you know these so warm weather beach uh, beach and uh, uh, good food welcoming people so w- when you have money there you can live like a nice life and uh, just just to be clear though I, i made myself sound like a horrible teacher so i want to clarify <laughs> on my whole position it's that i just have no love loss to go back to the area i grew up with i love teaching yeah. i love my students i love passing knowledge <laughs> on so just in case people yeah. think that i like have no caring for my teach my teaching practice and my students i do just i don't need to do it where i grew up i i did not intend intend to come back to north carolina and i've been here for four years now back again but i think there's a difference there especially with some of the other um, artists kind of coming from the african continent that i've worked with or talked to a lot of them do want to come back because a lot of them have left especially the more successful artists um i hate to say that but uh they they very intentionally come back to give back to their community and try to you know develop within the the countries that they originate from and i just don't see that happening as much and i could be wrong um with american artists because they don't tend to leave the us as much um so yeah it, it, agree or disagree with me please <laughs> but i just i've seen that much more in the africa based artists that i've talked to than american ones because there you, you know that there's no opportunities real opportunities for the young for the young students and for the young artists So when you have like, and you have the, those opportunities, these opportunities in your life, and you are like, you feel blessed and lucky. And it's hard work also, but same time like it's also like luck. So why not giving back and uh, like uh, giving hope to others? You know, it's and I'm like, I, and I do that. You know, with a young artists, and I like also I I I buy art from like. I, from young artists, like only women artists, so I want like to to encourage like to uh, because we need like women to speak to, to speak by themselves. I don't feel I have I'm allowed like 
to speak about women freedom, women emancipation, women sexuality, women in politics. Because I'm a male, you know, I'm I'm not like in the in the best place to. It's it's very it's very uh, uh, masculine and uh, bad approach, you know, to to speak about women. So I help artist women to like to be successful, so they can speak for themselves and for their community, you know. Well, it's that savior complex that men have that we feel like we should speak on their yeah. behalf. I don't we speak on behalf of women. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We we have no idea yeah. of, the, of course, their, what their no lives idea. are like. No, I like yeah. I like that. They made my heart grow a little bigger. I was like, oh, good. You're only buying for women artists. That makes me really happy. Yeah. I I will say though, with a lot of artists like you that are going back and and you know saying that there aren't the opportunities that are you know, maybe elsewhere in the world, I'm seeing more of that happening and more residencies being set up and more. Um, like 154 in Morocco, more galleries opening up. There, it's it's starting to kind of get that momentum and it takes people like you doing that and, and sh- modeling good behavior and, and purchasing art by young artists and and lifting them up. So I, I hope... Young women Young women artists. artists. <laughs> I, I hope to see that happening more and more. Yeah, I mean, I've I seen, so. seen it happen in Ghana, Senegal, yeah. Morocco. And, and, and me too. I, I also... I. The, fir- the first gallery that took me outside of Tunisia, it's, it's, it's a Tunisian gallery. Uh, they showed me in Dubai, in, in London, in Abu Dhabi, in, uh, in Morocco, in the United States, here in New York in 2018. So, uh, in one 54 art fair. So, I was also helped by Tunisian uh, you know, uh, from the art scene. So, why not giving back? And also, for example, we have. Uh, a great foundation in uh, art foundation in Tunisia. It's in the MENA region. It's one of the well-known foundations, the KLF Foundation, Kamel Lazar Foundation. And they now, it's the book is is out now in uh, libraries. You can like order it. They like they financed a monography about my work and about myself. So, so it's Tunisian. It's money from Tunisia. So and uh, it's. Uh, Published, published with the Skira, if you know the, uh-huh. the house pub- edition. Yeah, yeah, I published a book with them. Yeah. Okay, good with to know. Skira, they wow, congratulations to both yeah. for having books published. Yeah, it's it's out in Paris. and. <laughs> well, I'll have our library buy a copy, and hopefully we can put that link on yeah. the, the podcast site. <laughs> and yeah, Absolutely. Send send. <laughs> we will put a link to it in the show notes. Yeah. Well, and my my big question was also going to be when can I visit because I want I do want I want that. <laughs> well, I think that's up to your schedule, Amanda. Well, I'm going to the one five four in Morocco, so oh, in Marrakesh, okay. so it, maybe I'll just you know stay a little longer. Come by, <laughs> come come over. It's not too far. All right. Last thing, I generally try to wrap up the podcast with actually is there any sort of advice you can give to the next generation? Something that to you know encourage them or whatever generally from your personal experiences so not so much of like keep working kind of like motivational things but some actual experiences you had that can be helpful to them to to help with their careers i think first is like it's uh, the usual advice is to believe to have a dream it's 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 uh, it's uh, mandatory you know to have a dream uh, a, a small flame you know and you keep like making it grow and grow and grow, but with hard work. 
and you have like to be contemporary of your times you know you you know the tools the right tools to use to to uh, make your art like seen and visible by the right people and work hard and never like back down and uh, uh, make step back you know even in the years that you feel that you feel doubt so you still work because it's like it's more life it's a life uh, path more than a, you don't take it as a job you don't you know don't uh, perceive it as a job you will do and you will earn money uh, for your uh, efforts and no no it's uh, it's an adventure and it's a risk to take and you have to be responsible of that risk until the end okay wait one little question i have simply because amanda is on here the, there are different people, different artists that have sort of different studio practices, we'll call it. Like me, I'm very much of a, I wait until I'm inspired or wait until I have some reason to go in my studio. So my studio might sit empty for months until I find something to go in and do. Whereas her husband, Sean, he sits in his studio every day from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. because it's his job. And so, so even if he's not actually physically painting, he's researching or writing grants or doing whatever. And this is a very different light sort of choices that different creative people make. What, what kind of sort of, you know, practice do you do? Me, I like I go to my studio almost every day. It's like uh, um, from 10 a.m. until 6 p.m., 7 p.m. So I, of course, also because I have, I'm responsible of the agreements and the engagement I have with the galleries I work with. So in a way, I'm I'm not obliged, but I have to be on my studio <laughs> to work. So so because I I have work to do, and uh, and it it became like my natural daily life, daily routine, you know. To be at the studio to work to go to the gym first then to go to the studio and uh, spend the day there and uh, then go back home you know so uh, this is my routine and i and i have to do that because uh, because of my engagement with the events that i have and i have to fulfill you know the, those engagements any last questions, Amanda? No, I was just going to say I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to say the same thing that Sean very much uh, structures his his life, his artistic life, like it is a job, and that's how he keeps his momentum going. And um, but so for me, I I think it's just uh, maybe variations on the same theme. But I like what you were saying about it being like a path, like a, a way of living. And I think that there's just maybe ways that humans consider jobs as almost being a negative thing that someone else is telling you what to do whereas sean or maybe some other artists view the job as the the one that they've given themselves to do the work that they want to do so then it's it's work but with a different twist yeah. <laughs> more positive light maybe so i don't necessarily see what you're saying as being opposite but um variations on a theme well, like my wife is an accountant and, and in general, like most people in the world, when they think of the ter the word job, they think of something that has an Apple or sort of A to B thing. Mm -hmm. So like you go in, you do your job and you get at this amount of money for that amount of effort, 
whereas the arts in general, any form of creativity has nothing to do with that kind of structure. And so again, so we're trying to fit into some societal thing, but we don't fit in. I think it's uh, how, how you manage your time, you take it as a job. Very seriously, you, you, you create a routine. This is what I meant by, but in the same time, your perception of the thing is like, is more like free, it's, it's, it's your life, it's your dream, it's your ambition, it's a path, it's an adventure. And uh, so this is what I meant about, uh, about you know, it's not, there's no contradiction between uh, the two approaches. Agreed. Fabulous. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you, both of you, for the opportunity. And I'm very glad and happy to chat with you and, and hope one day in person. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Indeed. Yeah. I'll see you yes. in September. I'm yeah. coming up. Yeah, so of course, yeah. <laughs> I'll see yeah. you then. Yeah. I'll come to Prague so to see you. Marvelous. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the complete conversation. We would appreciate it if you would share the podcast with your friends, family, co-workers, studio mates, anyone with an interest in the arts and creative endeavors. The building and strengthening of the arts and creative community is at the core of our mission for this podcast. They can listen and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are produced by 5014, and the music was created by Pete Bybee. The Wise Fool Art Podcast is supported in part by an EEA grant from Iceland, Liechtenstein, and Norway in an effort to work together for a green, competitive, and inclusive Europe. We would also like to thank our partners Hunt Kastner in Prague, Czech Republic, and Kunst Centrene i Norge in Norway. Links to EEA grants and our partner organizations are available in the show notes or on our website, wisefoolpod.com.